Hello from ABA Tech Show 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Russ Cochran. Kenton Bryce. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Uh, we're here at the 2019 ABA Tech Show. We're in the Expo Hall. It's getting loud and raucous around here. It's still pretty much in the morning. And uh, our first panel's here. There. Uh, I think you guys are fresh off your presentation, right? Yes, correct. Excellent. So before we get into all that, it's a really fun one. Let's uh, learn a little bit more about you. Where do you work? What do you do? Let's, uh, let's start with Rust. I am the general counsel of the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. All right. And uh, Kenton. I am the Director of Technology Innovation at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. I direct our digital initiative and investigate emerging technologies and legal. Excellent. So you guys were presenting at this uh, session that was called All About Drones, Legal, Practical, and Educational Applications. So first question, how'd it go? I think it went well. Uh, we had a good response from the audience. Um, they were a little disturbed. I had a drone flying uh, to greet them when they walked in. Uh, but once I got over that, I think they went really well. Yeah, yeah. I thought we got a very good response, and uh, there's a lot of interest in the drone technology the, or unmanned aircraft systems, and uh, they seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, it's been really exciting. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we have a little uh, common saying at Legal Talk Network. Our offices, yeah, it's uh, dog and drone friendly, so we do have a few of those <laughs> around. But uh, yeah, I love flying them. They're a lot of fun, and I've got like kind of a toy one, and I've got like this thing called a Sphero. It's not a flying one. It's like, kind of like a uh, rolling marble that you can program. It does all kinds of weird stuff, and it lights up. So uh, basically, it's a uh, cat toy. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have one of those just to put inside a classroom and then just bring it in and have the students kind of scared that I'm actually spying them on the ground now, not just the air. So, yeah. You know, like every wife says, the only difference between a man and a boy is the size of his toys, right, and the expense of them. So... Yeah, I have Absolutely. noticed a uh, upward trend in the cost of toys as I've gotten older. So <laughs> you're 100% right. Well, let's get into your uh, presentation. You know, it's uh, all about drones, legal, practical, and educational applications. If you guys give me the 50,000 foot, we'll get into some of the specifics. My portion of it was, uh, since I'm in law enforcement, since I work for a law enforcement organization, was to deal with the aspects of how we use drones in a law enforcement application like uh, as cover on search warrants and that kind of thing. So uh, that was my aspect of it. And Kenton spoke about uh, a lot of the <laughs> other issues. Yeah, I too. spoke uh, mainly about what lawyers need to know before they start using drones, like how the regulatory environment works, how state law works, uh, how even local ordinances. Here in Chicago, uh, they have an ordinance that basically you can't fly a drone. And uh, so I talked about that and then into the civil application of drones and uh, litigation and transactional work. Yeah. So you can't fly a drone at all in Chicago? The ordinance in Chicago is pretty unique. It's about 16 to 18 provisions that basically restrict your ability to fly in Chicago uh, to very narrow areas. We'll see what case law comes out on that. It may not. Actually, the FAA may have preempted that. We don't know yet. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the, the technology, again, like a, a lot of times, uh, technology is outpacing the law's ability oh. to react to it. But I had a question because, I mean, I definitely read more often that people are doing flybys of airports and they're uh, saying these drones are flying too close to aircraft. It's really bothering people. So, uh, you know, just in terms of that, like, uh, you know, when you've, I know not there's like a certain size drone before you have to register it. So what's that all about? Can you guys give us a little bit of a, a little bit of background on that? 
Well, basically, it's anything over 0.55 pounds Correct. up to 55 pounds would be a small UAS, and it would have to be registered. Anything greater than 0.55 pounds. Yeah, you have to register them, and then you actually... The statute changed back in October, so now even if you're a hobbyist or recreationalist, you still have to pass an aeronautical test, uh, basically a safety and knowledge exam. Uh, you don't have to get licensed, but if you're going to fly it as an attorney and work, you have to get licensed under Part 107. Um, and so even with that, though, there's still these local ordinances that restrict things, and I think it's going to continue to grow because you see these examples with like Gatwick Airport got shut down for a few days because... Uh, someone was flying a drone in the airport's airspace. And so when you start disrupting travel plans, start putting airplanes in danger, uh, have people on them, like, more and more cities, I think, are going to start passing yeah. these orders until the FAA can actually come down with a really strong enforcement mechanism. It recently happened in Dubai, too. Yeah. Somebody flying drone close to their airport. So. Yeah, I know, the, I know the regulations are evolving. And, and recently in Southern California, we had some fires and people wanted to report basically stories back online and they wanted to fly close to the fires with their drones, but it was wreaking havoc for the fire department and the police department because they did not want their helicopters in close proximity for the drone. So uh, they had to talk about how do you ground it. So maybe we could talk about that. Like what are some of the illegal, in addition to flying restricted airspace, now where these people were flying was not always restricted airspace. So maybe we could go into some of the fly, no fly rules for some of the drones. Well, there can be at any given time, temporary flight restrictions and uh, that are not permanent restricted airspace. And that can happen at any given time and it can be published and uh, to where for a certain time period, you can't fly into a particular area. Like for instance, over in where some kind of activity is happening away from an airport where like the president of the United States is going to be. That'll be a no-fly zone over that. So those kinds of things happen regularly. That's like a, a flavor of airspace, right, regulation. Um, you do have your natural Class G airspace, which that's where you need to fly a drone. That's where you're allowed to fly a drone. Uh, but that can be overridden by what's called a notice to airmen or a notice to drone operators. And the great thing is today it gets published, and then you have access to it immediately through apps. Uh, and so any drone you're going to fly that's not a toy is going to have an app that you have to fly it with. Like DJI has their DJI Go 4, and it will notify you you're in restricted airspace. And it gets updated every day. And so there's really no excuse for people to be flying airspace or not supposed to be flying in. Now the question comes, what do you do when people are flying in that airspace? Uh, just because you have a regulation doesn't mean people follow it. And so there's some options out there. And this is where Russ has been like looking at in law enforcement, what they can be doing. and. My favorite, though, so far is the Drone Hunter, which <laughs> is basically Spider-Man meets a drone. Uh, it's a drone. It's fully autonomous. has its own radar system. When it detects a, a nefarious drone, an incoming drone, it launches, and then it shoots a net, a web, at that drone, and then tows it away to safe areas. So it's better than shooting a gun into the sky. It's better than using radio jammers to jam the signals. It's actually kind of using an analog idea to capture technology. Well, I read somewhere that law enforcement also has a tool where they can jam the radio frequency and automatically command the, dr the drone to fly home. So if they're getting close to an airspace, fly back for two and land at its point of origin. Is that, have you guys read that? That's not going to be at our level. I'm not familiar with that from the, 
from like a state law enforcement agency, we don't have that capability. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet in operation. I've heard people talk about it. I haven't seen it yet, though. So we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. Yeah. I have a really uh, fun question for you. So I, I'm a big fan of BattleBots. And so recently they started they started using flying drones in the battle arena. And so I had read, I had read that uh, the FAA had restricted, like you cannot shoot drones down, but clearly they're doing that in this competition. So these drones fly around with like flame flurrows and try to light the other drones on fire. And then the, uh, the, the drones on the ground will try to like blow them out of the sky. And it's, it's fun, I mean, it's great TV, but I wanna know is our battle bots, I mean, is battle bots the show breaking FAA regulations when they do that? So I hope they got a, a waiver or a certificate of authorization from the FAA to do that. I'm sure they probably did their homework. And that happens all the time. Like you go to the FAA, they're pretty reasonable people, by the way. Uh, they're, they're not just a bunch of bureaucrats. They're actually pretty reasonable. They want to see drones in our airspace. But I think on its face, it's probably pretty illegal. <laughs> to have a flamethrower on a drone going after another drone, yeah, I'm going to say that's probably illegal. Yeah. That, that's unbelievable. <laughs> but I can tell you, I saw a YouTube video of a flamethrower on a drone that was uh, burning debris off of high power lines. Uh, and so anybody on YouTube, and if you look up drone stuff, I mean, you'll, you'll find people that have done unreal things that at least in the United States, would be totally illegal. But it's, it's interesting. It makes for a good video. You guys primarily just covered, uh, in your presentation, flying drones. But there's a lot of applications for drones. I mean, I, I saw an, uh, a video where they were using it to inspect power lines. And uh, I've also seen uh, people use them to uh, uh, spy on wildlife. And I, I remember uh, wildlife organizations got mad. And sort of the uh, National Forest Service hunters in Colorado were using them to track their prey. And uh, they would get GPS coordinate information and set their GPS receivers to go to go find uh, you know the last known location of their uh, prey item. But uh, you know, just in terms of that, I mean, there's a tons of really creative ways to use them. But what are some of the hallmark no-nos when it comes to flying drones, in addition to flying into restricted airspace and having a flamethrower? Well, arming one that would be one. So you know, if you take the battle bots out of the arena, then you've got problems. That's definitely a no-no. Uh, I definitely think flying over crowds and stadiums, definitely a no-no. And we've seen that at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, we have a pretty popular football program. Uh, they're not bad. You know, we make the college football playoff every now and then. But we have a lot of fans that want to experience the game in a new way. Uh, definitely a no-no to fly a drone into a stadium of 100,000 people. Just please do not do this. Uh, <laughs> because it makes it harder for the people that want to do drone flights legally. Right. And so definitely a no, no. What about just, uh, you know, populated areas? I mean, I've seen drone uh, photography and, and uh, videos going through cities and flying around buildings and there's people below these drones. I mean, in theory, you know, if there was a failure that, you know, a pretty big piece of equipment's going to fall out of the sky and land on people. So what about that? I mean, do you have to like make sure there's nobody flying or nobody walking beneath your flying drone or? That is actually part of the regulatory framework. Um, one of the regulations is you cannot fly over people uh, right now. There are rules to be proposed that the FAA is working on that would free that up. But right now, um, if you're flying a drone, you cannot fly over people in airspace. Uh, but Russ has a great example of what happened in Tulsa not too long ago with that. Yeah, there was a commercial company that was using a drone to inspect the roof of one of the buildings in downtown Tulsa, and it lost its airworthiness and crashed onto a passing car uh, down below on one of the city streets to which the, the highway patrol had to investigate it as a traffic collision. 
Yeah, so new traffic accidents, drones versus cars, yeah. are happening. But for, for most operators that are licensed, that have good equipment, um, there's always going to be some kind of malfunction out there. But the better the equipment is, the better the operation goes. Hopefully we won't see that as much. Um, especially when you're doing downtown areas, because there's nothing restricting people from flying that airspace right now. And that's why Chicago has drafted their own ordinance. And you might have building strikes with these drones that can cause damage to buildings to like a plate glass window. Um, so for, for the operators out there, just be smart, right? Um, don't be the test case on this and don't cause undue burdens for the rest of us. Uh, just please, for everybody listening to this, just be smart about it. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what about privacy concerns? I know people fly over other people's backyards and, you know, check them out like in their backyard, see what they're doing. They're mowing the lawn. They want to know if their, their uh, neighbor's keeping up with their, their lawn work. But uh, obviously there's some, there's some privacy concerns when something flying around as a camera on it, and especially with these HD cameras they equip these, these flying apparatuses with. I mean, what are some of the privacy concerns uh, or what are some of the privacy restrictions with drones that can fly around and see things that people can't on their own? Well, and that was part of our presentation today. And from a law enforcement perspective, that's one of my big concerns is to make sure, first of all, that my agency doesn't end up being one of the test cases nationally on anything like that. And, and so we went into discussion in our presentation about the use of, of drones in support of search warrants. And so a lot of states that regulate law enforcement activity as it pertains to drones, they uh, restrict the use to those that have search warrants for a particular property. So not a lot of case law out there so far uh, and so this is new ground, new territory, but uh, it, it's one that I'm sure will develop some case law in, in the future. Yeah, from a legal standpoint, there's not much. There's not much preventing someone from flying over someone's other property. Um, trespass law has not caught up to this. So certain states have started enacting their own laws. Now there's still an open question as to whether the FAA preempts those laws through their regulatory framework. But there's nothing in the FAA regulations about surveillance. Uh, but my home state, state of Texas, they have one of the most restrictive drone laws in the country. And they actually criminalize taking pictures of people with a drone. And it's, if you share the image, it's an even greater penalty. And so it's a Class C misdemeanor to take a per picture of a person without their consent, up to $5,000 plus attorney's fees and uh, cost. But then if you share it, so if I tweet that picture out, now I get a class B misdemeanor, up to $10,000 civil penalty to the other party every time I tweet it, plus attorney's fees. So I think attorneys have incentives to follow this law, but I still, it's still an open question of whether or not the FAA or someone would say the FAA has preempted that. There is an example of that in a district court case out of Massachusetts recently, but we haven't seen any other cases come out. So it's still open question. What are some of the uh, factors that would disqualify an image, including people in it? So, like, let's say you're flying, not directly over, but you see a crowd, a crowd of people in the street, and, you, and you're flying over, and you can't really recognize any of their faces, but you're taking a city scene, and you're never going to remove people from that. Uh, is that an actionable, under that law, is that actionable if you wanted to tweet it out as doing a flyby? Maybe. We... <laughs> That's Maybe. tough. That is a really tough law. Maybe. Uh, so the way the Texas statute works, um, there's actually two elements to it, but there are some exceptions. So I can fly for academic purposes in the state of Texas. Uh, but if you're just some guy who wants to fly over a crowd of people, you might be in violation of that. Well, what's the difference if you're just walking by or if you're on your bike or on a skateboard and you pull out your GoPro? I mean, what's the difference? 
Uh, we actually have a state law that says a drone is uh, actionable. It don't say anything about GoPros. Now, of course, you would have misappropriation of someone's likeness that you would have to worry about on a common law standpoint. But this is the first statute I've seen that actually criminalizes taking a picture of someone with a drone. Well, this is just a fascinating topic. Well, I, I would imagine there's probably some attorneys out there, you know, uh, especially if they come to ABA Tech Show, they, they tend towards the uh, technical side, or at least they're looking to implement more technology in their law firm. But uh, this is a growing area of law, and since you guys have uh, some experience with it, what is a really great source for people that are new to this area of law to turn to, to kind of wrap their mind around what, what, uh, you know, what practicing in this type of law would be? The first thing I would say is to go to the FAA website, faa.gov. .gov, and then they have a lot of information on there about their regulations and, and requirements and, and so forth. That would be the first place I would say to look. Yeah, I would second that. The FAA has a great website uh, to inform yourself. Beyond that, there are some attorneys I know that are blogging about this issue actively. Uh, just do a Google search or, sorry to promote Google, but or a Bing search or Yahoo search, whatever your search engine flavor is and do a search for just drone law update. And you'll get a few lawyers actually write about it. They have non-lawyers that write about it. But there are these initiatives around the country right now called UAS cluster initiatives. Uh, Oklahoma has one where they're trying to build communities of drone operators. And I think lawyers have a great opportunity to get involved with those cluster initiatives. One, to drive business and two, to learn. And uh, maybe even three, learn how to use those drones in their own practice and find pilots that could fly for them or become a pilot themselves. But there are resources out there. Again, this is a emerging technology, so it's just growing. There's no drone handbook yet uh, for lawyers. Um, somebody texted me during the middle of our presentations, like, you and Russ should write that book. The Treatise of Drones? Treatise of Drones. Russ, all right. Do it. Uh, in case our listeners didn't hear that, that was actually a fist bump in front of the microphone. <laughs> So I just have one last question for you guys before you take off. I know you got to get going, but uh, you know, if our listeners, they want to reach out, learn a little bit more, how can they find you online? Why don't we start with Russ? The best place to get me is just to feel free to email me. Now, I have the world's worst email address because it's a government email address, but it's rcochran at obn.state.ok.us. All right, and Kenton. Uh, for me, Kenton Bryce, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Kenton Bryce, all one word, K-E-N-T-O-N-B-R-I-C-E. Or just shoot me an email, uh, kbryce, B-R-I-C-E, at ou.edu. Well, I reached into the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for having thank us. You. Also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.